All right, hello, Christ community. Glad all of you are here. Uh, greetings to our, our traditions venue and our friends in LaSalle and also anyone who is uh, watching online. We are just so glad you're joining us. Uh, before we jump into the message, um, I want to let you know that last Friday we officially closed on 10 Acres of Promontory. Uh, so, um, yes, it happened finally. Uh, we were able to purchase the 10 acres. So thank you for your prayers and your generosity. So we're in the midst of getting clarity from the Lord regarding his vision for that campus. So please keep praying. We will keep you posted on that. So a couple of months ago, I was standing in line um, at a store here in town and and uh, was uh, kind of interacting with the woman in front of me. She was a uh, uh, had a little girl, just a very pleasant woman, and we interacted a little bit. And and then at, at some point, she saw two of the employees um, smile at each other. And for whatever reason, she assumed they were laughing at her. And it, and she just kind of went off. Um, Are you laughing at me? You think I'm funny? Um, and, it, and it was just like, wow. Um, she just began to emotionally escalate. She was yelling. She was calling for the manager. And it was very awkward situation. And um, as I thought about that incident later, I was reminded of how anger seems to be kind of simmering just below the surface in our society and in our, in our own lives. The other day I was feeling good. It was my wife and I were celebrating her 30th anniversary, and, and I was looking forward to just hanging out with her. And, and so I happened to be opening up the mail um, um, just from the, from the day, and, and I saw this medical bill um, for my finger therapy. Um, and it was like, it was five, literally five times the amount that I thought was appropriate. Um, and it kind of ruined my week. Um, I couldn't sleep, you know, for a few nights. I was just wake up thinking about it. I was just so angry, you know, envisioning what I was going to say to them when I got them on the phone and then kind of wondering if the person on the other end went to Christ's community or whatever and how I was going to figure that out. But, but really, what do, what do followers of Jesus do with our anger? What do we do with this whole area of anger in our lives? Now, we find a very helpful answer to that question in the book of Ephesians chapter 4. We are in the midst of a teaching series where we're walking through the book of Ephesians, and I want you to look at how Paul begins this section, chapter 4, beginning in verse 29. He says, in your anger, do not sin. What a fascinating statement. Some translations actually say, be angry, and yet don't sin. See, what we immediately notice here is that anger in and of itself is not sinful. Um, it is not sinful to feel anger. In fact, anger is a God-given emotion. It's a part of being an image bearer of God. God feels anger. Now, I know some of you may be thinking, ah, that kind of bothers me to hear say that. You know, I, I believe in a God of love. I don't, I don't believe in a God of anger. You can't separate those two things. You cannot separate those two things. So during a vacation a few years ago, my wife, Raylene, um, was sitting by the pool watching our, our, our youngest son, Josh, swim. And some other kids um, began to uh, make fun of Josh for um, his special, just because of his special needs and his difficulty in talking. They were kind of making, they were making fun of him. Now, do, do you think that that had any, watch, Raylene watching this, that that had any impact on what Raylene felt in that moment? Mama bear, right? Uh, I mean, you, you bet it did, right? You bet it impacted Raylene to sit there as a parent and feel nothing in that situation would not be a loving response, right? Genuine love feels anger 
over injustice. Jesus got angry when the Pharisees refused to heal someone on the Sabbath, right? He got angry at that. That that kind of hypocrisy made Jesus mad, and we're glad it did. We want a God who gets angry over hypocrisy and racism and genocide and child abuse and sex trafficking. A God who didn't feel anger over those things would not be a God of love. He would not be a God worth worshiping. See, this helps us actually get to a definition of anger. See, anger is a God-given emotion that protects something we value. See, anger is a God-given emotion that protects something we value. Someone has said that anger is love in motion. Love in motion to deal with a threat to someone or something that we can't truly care about. So anger can be good when it's directed at evil and injustice. So when you feel anger over some injustice, that is a good thing. That kind of anger actually makes us Christ-like. That kind of anger looks like Jesus. But that's where the comparison ends, okay? That's kind of where the comparison stops because our reality is we don't handle anger nearly as well as God does. Seven times in the Bible, we are told that God is slow to anger. He is slow to anger. Um, Are we like that? Are we slow to anger? Uh, Not usually. Uh, We read in James chapter 1, Um, Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And then look at this. Because human anger, or some translations say sinful anger, does not produce the righteousness that God desires. See, clearly, we don't handle anger the way God does. It does not produce, it often does not produce the righteousness of God in us. What, What does it? Produce well, uh, lots of lots of destruction actually, um, which Paul describes for us in Ephesians four in this passage. He vividly shows us here what a, what a sinful response of anger looks like. Look with me at, at verse thirty one. He says, "Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form." Of malice. So in this list, we see two overarching ways that sinful anger manifests itself in our lives. First sinful response to anger is spewing. Spewing. I almost spit as I was saying that word. It's kind of cool that that actually fits. But uh, it's a great word to spew. I looked up the definition. See if you think this fits with anger. Here's the Webster definition or whatever definition online I found. Here it is. To spew is to expel large quantities of something rapidly and forcefully, right? Spewing is when we just let it out. We vomit our anger. We express it in forceful and unhealthy ways, kind of the grenade approach, right? Paul uses some very vivid words here to describe kind of what spewing may look like. Um, He says, verse 31, get rid of all rage, brawling, and slander. Okay, so, so rage, this is the Hulk, right? <clears throat> rage, you know, it's the nice guy until his buttons get pushed. And then once he reaches that tipping point, watch out. You know, there is no restraint. 
<clears throat> rage describes anger that is, that is out of control. In that moment, it's like we suspend, we suspend our ability to think clearly. Um, we, we suspend our capacity to exercise restraint. And in that moment, we go in one of two directions, right? We get physical. That's the brawling that Paul talks about here. Pushing, shoving, hitting, slamming doors on people, throwing things, whatever. Um, that's one. We go physical or we go verbal. We go verbal. This is the slander that Paul mentions here. We, we mock someone. We call them names. We make fun of them. Um, and I still, and this just takes a moment, right? I'm not talking about it could be going on, but it just takes a moment. I remember, I still remember and regret something that I said in anger years ago to one of my kids when they, um, they spilled their popcorn um, in a movie theater, right? And it just in that moment, it just, I still remember what I said and still regret it to this day. See, as, as we talked about a few weeks ago, our words, they can either bring life or death. And often our anger in our anger, we, we just, without, again, we stop thinking, we just, we, we emit words, we spew words of destruction to those around us. And just a few, it only takes a few seconds of that, and it can bring uh, long-term damage. Um, social media makes this so much easier, the spewing easier, right? Uh, because we don't have to look the person in the eyes to post a response um, that is filled with this kind of thing. Um, slander and rage and all of that. Okay, now, some of us are thinking to ourselves, oh, I'm glad I don't have a problem with this. Uh, I don't struggle with that. I haven't hit anyone. I haven't yelled at anyone. What about our passive-aggressive forms of, of rage? Our passive-aggressive forms of anger, the cold shoulder that we give our parents after they restricted our cell phone use, um, or the negative gossip that we spread about this person that we're angry at, and so we talk to all sorts of other people about that person. See, there are all sorts of passive ways that anger, um, rage can manifest itself. So whatever form of, of uh, our rage comes in, you know, whether it's a passive-aggressive kind of spewing or it's a direct verbal assault sort of spewing, um, Paul makes one thing very clear here. <clears throat> this is not okay for a follower of Christ. This is not okay. <laughs> spewing our anger is not walking worthy of our calling, which is how he started this chapter, verse one. Walk worthy of the calling, the Lord's calling. This is not reflective of that. This kind of anger causes significant damage to the people around us. So spewing is not okay for a follower of Christ. Okay, <clears throat> that's one response of anger. The second sinful response to anger is stewing. Stewing, okay? So what happens with stewing is we keep it all inside. So no one kind of knows we're angry. At least we think they don't know we're angry. We just stuff it, right? We suppress it. We pretend all is well. And here's the irony. Many Christ followers actually think this is the spiritual response to anger. <laughs> we think this is the spiritual response. We just keep smiling. Don't just keep smiling. You're a Christian, right? So just keep smiling and act like nothing's wrong. Just pretend everything's okay. See, I, I'm, I'm controlling. Look at me. I'm controlling my anger. I'm being such a good person because I'm controlling my anger. We have no idea the damage that this is causing under the surface of our lives. And we think it's the spiritual response. It's not. It's not. Stewing is just as damaging as spewing. It just causes its damage in, in different ways. So, in fact, look at, look again at verse 20, 26. 
Um, or maybe we haven't looked at this yet. So let's look at verse 26. He says, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. See, Paul is saying that when we let our anger stew inside of us, we are actually giving Satan a foothold in our lives. When we let it stew in us, we're actually giving Satan a foothold. We are giving him a place to set up camp. And do his thing. I mean, it's sort of like we're handing him a grenade with the pin still in it. So he just kind of looks for the ideal opportunity. He looks for the ideal opportunity to cause the most damage. And then kaboom, right? So stuffing our anger, stewing our anger, stuffing, you know, it's like trying to submerge a beach, keep a beach ball submerged, a, you know, a fully inflated beach ball, trying to keep that submerged. You can manage it for a while. But it will pop out somewhere, okay? It's going gonna, it's gonna to pop out somewhere. And often when it pops out, it has quite a bit of force. Um, Satan loves to leverage those opportunities. So we're, we're stewing and we're keeping it in here. He loves then to leverage those opportunities when it does come out and the damage that it causes. But there are, there are other ways, more subtle ways, that, the, that our enemy uses anger to bring damage when we choose to stuff it. One is bitterness. Bitterness. Paul says in verse 31, get rid of all bitterness. This is in the list of rage and all that stuff. Get rid of all bitterness. See, bitterness is, is, is when we hold on to our anger. We hold on to it. We hold on to an offense, right? We, we, don't, we don't express it. Instead, we keep the hurt within. We dwell on it. We don't let go of it. We nurse it. And... and Oh, man, we, we feel justified in doing this, right? Because they hurt us. We feel justified in doing this. And sometimes, actually, it feels good to do this. <laughs> Can we just admit, sometimes bitterness feels good. Um, but what we don't realize is that that bitterness that feels justified, sometimes it actually feels good. It actually is like poison to our soul. It's poison to our soul. In fact, check, check out this verse in Hebrews 12, verse 15. Look at what this is. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. What a powerful statement describing how bitterness is like a root. It's like a root. It starts small, but it grows. And as it grows, it defiles it defiles relationships. See, so, so bitterness is not only a, a poison to our own soul, it actually damages our relationships. So, so let me talk about how this works because this is really, really important. There's a principle here that I, that I think a lot of us as Christians have, we, we don't, either haven't been taught or we, we ignore this and it's having a huge, devastating impact. So here, here's how this works. Let's say someone hurts you with something insensitive that they said to you, okay? Some comment they made was insensitive and it hurt you. Maybe it was your child. Maybe it was your, your mom or dad. Uh, maybe your spouse or a coworker or friend. Anyone around you, okay, they say something and, and it hurts you. <clears throat> and in your anger at them, let's say you choose to hold on to that hurt. You hold on to it. But you see, that hurt doesn't just sit there and do nothing. It doesn't just do nothing. It takes root. And what happens is it quickly becomes, this is a subtle but huge shift, it, it quickly becomes contempt. 
it goes from hurt to contempt, or malice is the word that Paul describes here. Same idea. So you begin to make a judgment against this person. You judge them as being insensitive because they, they said something insensitive. Oh, they're an insensitive person. You judge them as being rude and insensitive. That's how you now see them. So think about how this begins to impact your interactions with them. You are seeing them through this lens, through this lens of judgment, that they're insensitive and rude. That's how you see them. Your relational radar is now locked on that idea. It's now locked onto that idea. So now, the next time, whenever they say or do anything that even hints at being insensitive, you think to yourself, there they go again. There they go again. And the bitter root just grows. It gets driven deeper. See, your dislike and your contempt of this person gets increasingly solidified and reinforced. And no one knows anything about it. This is happening internally. And what happens is the relationship begins to deteriorate, and they have no idea what happened. They have no idea what happened. Again, this can happen in friendship. This can happen in a marriage. In, in our hurt and anger, we make a bitter root judgment against this person. We judge them for being a particular way based on the hurt we experience. Oh, they're lazy. They're self-centered. They're rude. They're just fill in the blank. Whatever judgment we make against them, um, just fill in the blank. And, and then we just end up inevitably looking for evidence that reinforces this judgment that we've made against them. And it grows. It grows. And what inevitably happens is that then we go to another person and say, hey, you know, this person is, and we share our judgment about this other person. We share that with this person. And now, guess what's happened? They view this person through that lens. And this is the defiling of many that Hebrews 12 is talking about. See, bitterness has a long history of destroying marriages, families, work environments, neighborhoods, friendships. See, this is a huge spiritual principle that we ignore to our peril. I have literally seen relationships. This is so weird to me because it's just a spiritual principle, how it works. I don't know. Uh, it's something in the spiritual realm. I've literally seen relationships change overnight when a person realizes they have made a bitter root judgment against another person, and in prayer, they break that judgment, and they ask for God's forgiveness, they forgive the person and they ask for God's forgiveness. I have seen the entire atmosphere of that relationship change when that happens. There's an entire relational shift when this bitter root judgment is brought to the cross. It's amazing because often the person that, so I'm the one that made this judgment against them. That person, they don't even know. I don't tell them about it. They don't even know what's happened they don't even know anything's different. This is all what I have done in my own heart, breaking this judgment, bringing it to the cross. Suddenly, the entire atmosphere of this relationship changes. There's a spiritual principle here. Um, and it's the, it's the danger of, of this, this anger thing. So the flip side is also true. I've seen the atmosphere change in a good way. Flip side is also true. Again, it's when we let bitterness and contempt fester in our hearts. It does untold damage untold damage, not only, only relationship, uh, relationally, but also emotionally and physically. <clears throat> I mean, it can cause depression. Often people say depression is anger turned inward. It can cause depression. It can cause anxiety, stress, ulcers, 
insomnia, headaches, digestive problems. I mean, wouldn't that be interesting if when you go to a doctor and what are your symptoms and instead of just giving medicines, like, are you angry at anyone? Are you have bitterness? I mean, really, but that's what a lot of times some of the physical problems we have are actually rooted in bitterness. They're rooted in unforgiveness. And we're experiencing physical symptoms related to this, this um, bitterness issue in our lives. So again, neither spewing nor stewing is a good option for a Christ follower when it comes to our anger. And no wonder, Paul says in verse 30, he says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. See, the, the Spirit's heart is grieved. It, it's, it's grieved. It's not, oh, you know, shame on you. No, he's just, the Spirit is just grieving when he sees the damage that our anger is causing in our own lives and in our relationships. It grieves his heart. It breaks his heart. So what are we to do with our anger? What are we to do with our anger? We saw earlier anger it's, it, it's an opportunity for Satan, can be an opportunity for Satan to get a foothold, right? Um, but it's also an opportunity for something else. And this is really important. Our anger is an amazing opportunity for us to experience spiritual formation. Okay? Our anger, we all experience anger, again, so, it, it, but it, and our anger becomes an opportunity for us to experience spiritual formation. It's an opportunity for us to be formed more and more into the likeness of Jesus. Okay, so let's talk about what it looks like to deal with our anger in a way that actually helps shape us more and more into the image of Jesus. Okay, so let me offer three, what I would call formational steps. Three formational steps in this process of dealing with our anger. First, acknowledge your anger. Acknowledge your anger. The first step in seeing any kind of change happen in our lives in any area is by seeing the issue. If we don't see it, we're not going to address it, right? So if we don't see the problem, we're not going to address it. And the same thing is true with our anger. Again, Paul says in verse 26, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. See, Paul doesn't say, ignore your anger or try to deny it, you know, or, or spew your anger. Nor does he say, stop feeling angry. Shame on you. You're not supposed to feel angry. No, no, feel guilty, you know, about feeling angry. No, 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 he doesn't do any of that. Paul says, come on, let's own our anger. Let's own it. Let's acknowledge that we are feeling anger so that we can deal with it, right? You got to own it. You got to acknowledge it so we can deal with it. Now, I know some people take this sun going down thing literally and all that. Um, I, I don't really think this idea of the sun going down on our anger is to be taken, taken, be taken literally. I mean, what if you lived in Alaska during the summer? <laughs> you would have to deal with your anger for weeks, right? I mean, so <clears throat> maybe it's a reason to move to Alaska. I don't know. But, um, but no, no, I don't, I don't think this is, a, this is a literal thing. Paul's point is simply, let's deal with it, Right? There's not a, a clock that, oh, i got to do it before 8.30, I guess, or, or, you know, during the winter, it's only, you know, maybe 5.30. But no, it's, it's not that way. But the idea is just, let's deal with it. <clears throat> That's his point. Let's, let's deal with it. Let's just admit it. Let's just deal with it and own our anger um, rather than stuffing it or ignoring it. And I think here's, here's part of the challenge. Initially, um, 
ignoring our anger actually feels a lot more appealing, right? I mean, can we just admit that? It just feels a lot more appealing to ignore our anger. Watching Netflix for a few hours with some Oreos, that just seems a lot more appealing, right? Um, just hoping it will just kind of go away. Um, or <clears throat> spending an hour, you know, a happy hour um, mindlessly watching professional cornhole on ESPN, you know, um, and you'll feel better uh, or whatever. <clears throat> See, we, we just kind of think that initially that, yeah, I'm just going to go escape from it. I'm going to do something else. I'm going to get my mind off of it. But, but what we're actually doing when we, when, we pers- when we persist in that kind of thing, what we're actually doing is disconnecting from our heart, which is a big deal. This is a big deal. We're disconnecting from our heart, which is not the path of spiritual formation. It's not. It's not the path of walking with Jesus. Disconnecting from our heart is not the path of being transformed into the image of Christ. To walk with Jesus is very much a heart journey. So in light of that, the first step in dealing with our anger is not to disconnect from our heart. No, no. It is to admit it. Admit it. I am really angry right now. I'm really angry at my boss. What happened today? I'm really angry at my husband. I, I'm angry at my teacher. I'm angry at that person who cut me off in traffic. I'm, I'm feeling anger right now. We're not stuffing it. We're not expressing it. You know, we're acknowledging it. We're acknowledging it. We're owning it. <clears throat> okay, that leads to the second step. Analyze your anger. <clears throat> Analyze your anger. This is so important. In fact, this is something we see happening in the first few pages of the Bible. Seriously, which amazes me, but it's fascinating. In Genesis chapter 4, we are introduced to Cain and Abel, who are both sons of Adam and Eve. So this is like really, really early in the history of humanity. And so Cain, Cain and Abel both bring to God an offering. Cain brings fruit. Abel brings portions of an animal that he sacrificed. Now, for whatever reason, God looks with favor upon Abel's offering, and he doesn't look with favor on Cain's offering. We don't have time to talk about why that was the case. Um, But what what I want us to do is look at Cain's response. The Bible says, verse verse 5 of Genesis 4, So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. See, this is the first experience of anger that we see in the Bible. And what's fascinating is that God doesn't shame Cain for feeling angry. No, no, no. God sees this as a formational opportunity for Cain. How do we know that? Look at what God does here. He asks Cain. He's like, this is counseling right here, okay? God becomes this this counselor. He asks Cain a very important question. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why are you angry? See, anger, it's it's always a secondary emotion. It is always rooted in something else. So when we feel anger, it is so important that we stop and we ask ourselves or we ask the Lord, why am I angry? In fact, let me rephrase this according to our definition of anger from earlier in this message. Here's the question. What am I feeling the need to protect right now? What am I feeling the need to protect? See, our anger is always in our attempt to protect something we value. And what we need to understand is the thing we value may be our ego. 
The thing we are trying to protect may very well be our own ego. It may be our own reputation. It may be our need to be right. It may be our need to be in control. It may be our schedule or our agenda. I mean, I I frequently get mad and get angry at people because they're not moving as fast as I want, either on a project at church or in, in driving in my lane or whatever, or my son not getting... To, you know, ready for bed as quickly as I would like, or the customer service person who just put me on hold for several minutes. See, there are, those things make me mad. They make me angry. And there are moments, not always, but there are moments when I will stop long enough to ask, why am I feeling angry here? Why am I feeling angry? What is this anger really about? And usually, it's about me. It's about me how my time, my agenda is way more important than anyone else's. Again, this is such a powerful question to ask ourselves. What is this anger really about? Now, we need to know, often this question is going to come way after the fact, and that's okay. You know, that just is a fact of life. You know, sometimes in the moment, you know, we can, we can stop before we do anything stupid and we can pull away and just ask ourselves. But a lot of times it's three hours later after we've put the kids down or whatever and we just start thinking, what was that, my anger, my angry conversation with my boss, what was that really about? Or why did I yell at my kids tonight? And so even after the fact... We can stop, and I think we need to stop and ask ourselves, what was that about? What was going on in me? What was I trying to protect? You know, I think of that woman often, actually, at the store um, where she started yelling at those employees. I mean, I'm just envisioning her. She goes from the store, she goes home, and, and maybe after watching some television, she turns off the TV a few hours later, and she asks herself, why did I respond that way? Why did I respond that way? Maybe those smiling employees triggered this place of deep hurt and insecurity. And so when they laughed at her, it triggered this insecurity in her. That's important to look at. See, our our anger is worth analyzing because, here's the deal, it is a gold mine of information, of soul information. (laughs) Our anger is a gold mine of information regarding places of shame, idolatry, control, pride going on inside of us. Places that Jesus actually wants to speak into. Which leads us to the third formational step in dealing with our anger. And this is apply the gospel to your anger. Apply the gospel to your anger. See, the reality of the gospel, the good news of Christ, all of that, we, we talk about the gospel all the time, but here's the deal. The reality of the gospel is the reality of exchange. There's an exchange that happens in the gospel. Jesus' life in exchange for our sin, right? Jesus' sufficiency in exchange for our inadequacy. The gospel isn't just a one-time, you know, message for that moment when you place your trust in Christ. Oh, now I'm going to heaven, I'm saved. This is a way of life. The gospel is a way of life. We can apply the power of the gospel to any and every experience of anger that we have. And here's how, by bringing it to Jesus. In other words, I acknowledge, once I'm aware, I've analyzed it, I've acknowledged it, I've analyzed it, now I know what's really going on. I can bring that to Jesus. I can acknowledge my self-centeredness, 
I can acknowledge my insecurity, my pride, whatever got triggered. We acknowledge our idols that we're working so hard to protect, and we say, Jesus, would you forgive me? You, you are my life. I, I acknowledge I'm valuing my own reputation. I'm valuing my own desires more than you. I just confess that, and I choose right now to place my trust in you. This is an ongoing experience of the gospel. You are my life. You are my love. You are what I value more than anything else in the world. See, no, notice, this is not simply a count to ten um, you know, bite your tongue approach to anger, which just goes after the will of the will. This is not going after willpower. This gets to the root of our anger. I mean, when I opened that envelope from the insurance company um, or the doctor or whatever, I saw the medical charges um, and thought they were five times more than they should have been. I, I got and I got angry. It took me a few days to finally get to this place of asking, okay, what is this really about? Part of it was injustice, honestly. Um, what they charged for that was ridiculous. Okay, um, and I'm kind of working through that. But part of it for me was security. I, the, the security that I find in money. Um, it's an idol. It's an idol in my life. And I didn't like someone taking more of that than I thought they should have. So I invited Jesus into that place, repenting of my love for money, and placing my trust in him alone as my provider and my security. And, 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 and I prayed for his grace when I made that phone call to talk about my bill. Um, nothing happened, but I felt better. Okay. Uh, so, but a friend of mine recently said, that that's so good. He said, the cross of Christ takes our sinful anger out of circulation. Right? The cross of Christ takes our sinful anger out of circulation, because at the cross, Jesus experienced all of our unrighteous anger so that we can live differently in him. We don't have to live desperately protecting our ego or nursing our security. No, no, whether it happens in the moment before the anger gets the best of us, which is ideal, or it happens three hours after we already, you know, you know we've had a chance to cool down, but we already blew it three hours ago. Whenever it happens, our anger provides an opportunity for us to experience Jesus in deeper ways. And the impact of that over time can be huge, huge. So earlier I mentioned um, the experience at the swimming pool with Josh, our son Josh, being made fun of by some other children at the pool. And Raylene had enough restraint in that moment to wait and to watch to see how Josh would respond. And one of the wonderful things about Josh, his heart and his cognition, is that he, didn't, he really didn't understand what they were saying to him. And so he had no anger towards them. Instead, he just kept loving them. He just kept loving them. He kept inviting them to play with him at the pool. So within a few minutes, a huge shift in the atmosphere occurred. These children who had been making fun of, of Josh were now running over to Raylene, asking her how to sign certain words so that they could communicate with Josh. And a few hours later, there was a knock on our door, and these kids were there wanting to see if Josh could play with them. See, in a very real sense, Josh is unoffendable. He is unoffendable. And because of that, his love wins over people's hearts when anger would have been a more normal response. See, that, that's the goal we're moving towards as followers of Jesus, right? Where, where sinful anger becomes less and less our instinctive response, and instead we start to look more like Jesus. That's the goal. It's a journey, but that's the goal. We start to look more like Jesus. Imagine the impact. Just imagine the impact this will have in our families, in our workplaces, 
in our social media interactions, in our nation. Imagine the impact. Let's pray. So we, we want to just give some space to respond to God. So whether you're listening online or you're watching on app or you're here in this room right now, we want to give some space. So Holy Spirit, I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to do something, and I want you to, if you're willing to do this, encourage you to. Let's just quiet our heart. So Holy Spirit, I ask you for each one of us here, bring to mind a recent experience where I or where we experienced anger. And don't even call it good or bad yet. Okay, don't even do that. Just a recent experience where you felt anger. Okay, so as that's come to mind, hopefully it's come to mind. You can do this later if nothing's come to mind. Um, but if, if something's come to mind, what, you, what, what I want you to do is just initially, let's just acknowledge it. Let's just own it. Okay, we're owning it. We're acknowledging it. Yep, that's what was going on. Okay, secondly, what I want us to do with the Holy Spirit's help, let's analyze it for just a moment. So here I want you just in, in, your, in your heart, just to kind of with the Lord in the quiet of your heart, Holy Spirit, what was this anger about? What, what was I trying to protect? Why did I get so angry? Now let's, let's apply the gospel to that if it's needed, if it's justifiable anger, it's the justice issue, that you can just pray about that issue. But if it is sinful anger, we're trying to protect ourselves in some way. Let's acknowledge that to the Lord, just in the quiet of our heart, just confess it to the Lord, what was really going on, what you were really trying to protect And then express to Jesus that he is your life. He is your, you love him more than anything else. You surrender your pride, your insecurity, whatever it is, and just open your heart to receive his love in exchange for whatever was fueling that anger. So, Lord, we really want to take our sinful anger out of circulation at the cross, and we want to learn how to do this regularly. So I thank you for the journey all of us are on. We want to be more and more like Jesus, and we thank you that our anger provides an opportunity for us to go deep with you, to look deeply at our soul and to experience you in these places. And so I pray for all of us in our journey, and I just want to release right now blessing and reconciliation and healing where anger has done damage in families and workplaces. We are praying for a shift in atmospheres because of what we have heard in the last few minutes and are responding to this truth. We are praying for life to be released, for healing and reconciliation in the spiritual atmosphere of these places. 
as bitter root judgments are confessed and to you and, and released to you, Lord, you are just releasing life and restoration and healing for where the enemy has stolen and robbed because of anger. We're praying for restoration now. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. So now, God, thank you that we have this opportunity to worship you, to open our hearts to you, and maybe we're still working through some anger stuff, which is awesome. We just want to enter into this time of, of, of singing and worship with our hearts open to all that you want to do. So keep doing your thing, we pray. So why don't we stand as we worship? You can sit down, you can kneel. If God is moving you to receive prayer, go to a prayer station. If God's moving you to give him an offering, the giving stations around, this is about responding to our amazing God. So set us free, Lord, to do that. We love you, God. We love you.